We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We are so excited to bring you this show. Our podcast is all about unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed games. Each episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Assassin's Creed universe. From Pieces of Eden, Solar Flares, and the Isu, to the Hidden Ones, the Order of Ancients, and of course, the Animus. We will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby or She Cup, and I'm one of your co-hosts for this show. And I'm your other host, Austin or Teacup. And we're super excited to be here today. We are still in our season three, where we've been talking about assassin cells in the modern day. But today we are doing a character deep dive. Yes, we are. We are doing a character deep dive on a very, very famous Templar. Very famous. Yes. So with our theme and series on assassin cells, I thought it would be good for our first character deep dive during this uh, series to be the assassin cells worst enemy, which is none other than Juhani Otso Berg. I, I do genuinely think he's the most terrifying of all the Templars. Yeah. Um, so I, I have a very interesting fun fact about his name. So Juhani is a Finnish name because he is Finnish. It's a conjugate version of a Hebrew name called Yakananan, uh, which means God is merciful. Otso is Finnish for bear. And then Berg in several Germanic uh, languages means mountain. So we could, in fact, translate his name to be God's merciful bear mountain. That's really funny. Um, I, when you speak of his name, I thought you were going to say, or that we would have proof that it's a nod to KOTOR. With the character named Juhani from that game. Maybe. I I don't know. Uh, if this was the Dragon Age lore cast, I would definitely think this is a nod to KOTOR. But because it's not, I don't know. I mean, KOTOR was a very formative game for the time that it came out. So maybe someone did a nod to that. Or I think it's more likely with the way Ubisoft is that it is 
some kind of thing about like, oh, let's name a major Templar hunter or an assassin hunter the name God is Merciful. That's probably fair. Um, It's funny both ways, I think. Okay, well, uh, let's just get into his kind of backstory then. Right. So he is born in, and forgive my pronunciation, but Mikkeli, Mikhail, Finland in 1985. His father worked for an Abstergo-owned oil company, which forced the family to travel all over, like Afghanistan, a lot of Middle Eastern countries, all over. But uh, Jahani Otto Berg, Otto Berg would always have a fondness for Finland. And so later in his life, he goes and he joins the Finnish military, where he is mocked for his weird... I lived in several places throughout my entire childhood accent, but that quickly falls away uh, where he is quickly proved to be an invaluable soldier and is actually the youngest recruit ever in the Finnish army to be recruited into the Finnish special forces. So already he is showing that he has an unusual talent. So Berg would eventually leave the army and become a mercenary, believing that his pay would be better, which is probably true. But a little soft side, Berg needed more money because his daughter, Alana, has cystic fibrosis. And so he needs the money for the medicine. However, his wife, Helmi, did not approve of his decision to become a mercenary. And it creates such a rift before between them that she eventually ends up and decides to divorce him. And then one night, a team led by none other than Dr. Warren Vidic broke into Burke's home. He gives uh, Ilana a dose of the fibrosis treatment and promises Burke more treatments if he will join with the Templars. Berg agrees on one condition, that he wanted to kill the agent that broke into his house and woke up his daughter. Vidic agrees, and Berg uh, beats the Abstergo agent to death. It is really interesting that they allow that, because like that's basically Templar on Templar crime. Right, but I think it just Vidic, Vidic wants the best, and he's going to do what he can ever do to take care of it. I mean, I think that like Vidic is not unknown to show kindness. But his kindness always comes at a cost. And the cost is serving him. He only does kindness that will allow you, allow him to control you. And he only gives kindness if he knows that it will be repaid. Yes. So that's how Berg gets into the Templar Order. I think it's interesting that this is a second thing that we've learned in these two weeks about Vidic using a child to manipulate a parent into working with them. And so let's go into like kind of his early rise as a Templar. In October of 2012, we kind of get Berg is picked by Vidic to begin what's called the Animai training program, which I guess is just a point of seeing how people respond to the Animus. By October, he impressed his Templar superiors enough to be promoted into the ranks of the Templars to like basically get out of being a recruit. In his evaluation, he was noted as a potential recruit for the inner sanctum, but his daughter may be a weakness. Yikes. I just hope that they, whoever did that evaluation never shared that with Berg because I think that might end up in their death. Yeah. Also, it's just so cold. And calculated and cruel to say that. 
mm-hmm. in general. I mean, I feel like even for Templars, it it's not something I would expect, even of Templars. Right. Haytham Kenway would never. No, he wouldn't. Well, some would argue, probably say about Haytham Kenway, that his own child was also his weakness. I think that's a fair criticism, but also at the same time, like, if you are, if you are a parent, regardless of if you're raising your child or not, like, are you really a person with feelings if your child isn't a weakness to you right i think that's a fair point of like or can you really be like a true loving parent if you are at a point of like you would give yourself up for the child or do anything to make sure that they're safe i think at some level that is your role as the parent i agree and so after this, on November 16th, they send Berg out to find an, an artifact that Abstergo was tracking in New York City. It is there that he finds a deranged Daniel Cross who uh, tries to attack him because he's having a bleeding effect episode. Uh, he neutralizes Cross and brings him back into Abstergo custody. And then on December 6th, so this is close to the point of on December 6, 2012, Desmond dies on December 21st of 2012. So we're getting closer to that point. Uh, Berg was made a master Templar and was sent to track down William Miles in Cairo, Egypt. And he does successfully capture William Miles, but with William Miles being who he is, he uh, escapes. And then briefly before this time, after in 2013, so basically after Desmond is dead in early 2013, Berg is then tasked to go and hunt down the Koh-i-Noor. He goes to India to try to find someone who allegedly had information and genetic memories about the Koh-i-Noor, though their investigation becomes a dead end and Berg puts the investigation on on hold, feeling that the Templars had enough time and patience and resources that they didn't really need to chase this. They could wait for new information to present itself. And he goes back and he starts to explore the memories of Albert Bolden, which that name may sound familiar to some people. He was in our Koinor episode as the original Black Cross, who was the last person to hold the Koinor. And so it is through these memories that Berg first learns of the Black Cross. And starts to think maybe the Black Cross should be resurrected for the Templar Order. So do you have any uh, initial thoughts on this first little part? I think the the things that I think are the most interesting are, are definitely the resurrection of this Black Cross. I personally don't know a lot about what that means or, and the repercussions of that. Um, but I find it interesting. I also think... Another thing about Juhani Otzoberg that just has always stuck out to me is like his body count. Like he has killed so many people, so many people. And of course it makes sense because he's trained as like the Finnish special forces and then he becomes a mercenary and then he becomes a Templar. So like at this point he's had three careers in killing people not just one not just being a templar um but regardless of that like he has just killed so many people and he's good at it too um so that just always really sticks out to me about him right 
So I think now would be a good time for our break and then we can get into kind of more in closer to the modern day storyline with Berg. All right, let's do it. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Makose! Shoot! Shoot a flying demon! Malaka! Malaka! I get the sense you two are ill-fit for whatever it is you're plotting. <laughs> this one takes us for a fool, brother. We sons of Ragnar have this well under control. No, we do not. Sons of Ragnar. I know of many, but never have I heard of dull and duller. Welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all the things that have to do with the Assassin's Creed lore cast and not necessarily the lore of Assassin's Creed. So the first thing that I have to tell you or um, to remind you is that we thank our patrons. And so thank you to all of those who are our patrons. If you become a uh, $20 and up tier patron, you can come and join us once a month on patron episodes. We had our first one a couple weeks ago and we'll have our second one in a few weeks coming up. So definitely make sure you join the Patreon ASAP if you can. And if you can't support us financially, we totally get that. And the next best way to support us is to leave us a rating or a review. You can leave us a rating on Spotify just with numbers, or you can email us or leave us a review on Apple with some words. And if you leave us a five-star review with nice words, we will read that out on the show. So definitely make sure you do that if you haven't yet. And the next thing I have to tell you about is we announced this last week, but it's still a really big deal and we're super excited about it, is our website. You can find us at cubspodcasting.com, not cubspodcasting. I think you might find something about the Chicago Cubs there, but we are cupspodcasting.com. So check it out. And that website was created by us and Lewis H, who's one of our Dragon Age patrons and his company, HIT Media Solutions. So if you need a website, definitely check them out. And then the last thing I want to talk about today is my playthrough, um, which actually (laughs) I will say is kind of funny. Uh, Let me just set the scene. So this past week, some point in time, I don't remember when it was, but I picked up the game. I was like sequence four or something. I'm like, okay, I need to get some upgrades. I need to do some hunting. I need to do some questing. I need to just like clear out some of these side quests, um, get some viewpoints, get some money so I can buy a new outfit. You know, all of the usual side quest stuff that's not main questing. Okay. So I do that. I upgrade the Jackdaw like majorly. I, I spent thousands of dollars probably or reals or whatever it's called probably close to ten thousand so i'm like okay great my next main quest is all the way completely across the map from where i'm at i will sail the jackdaw all the way over there do anything that's on the way take some naval forts whatever so i do that 
travel all the way across. It takes four freaking ever. And as soon as I get like within sight of the main quest, it's like, or you should upgrade the Jackdaw before trying this main mission. So I rage quit, <laughs> which I am prone to do. Yeah, just go by the whole upgrade and you should be good. I'm pretty sure I've done that. Well, you need another one. Clearly. But I, again, like I just said, I spent all my money. So I have to go back and earn some more money before I can do that. Maybe I'll have another update for us next week. Yeah. Um, go to like Havana and just get all the chests. Um, I already did that. Okay. Go to... Have you done it in Nassau? I don't remember. I think so. Do some assassins contract because I think you can get like one or two thousand reals for each one. All right. All right. Sell your sugar and rum. I have. Okay. All right. Well, if that's all you've got about your playthrough and everything, are you ready to get back to it? Let's get back into it. Me, Haytham. I come in peace. Why are you speaking so slow? Sorry. What? Um, I, I was told you could train me. No. Go away. I'm not leaving. Bianca! Bianca! Is everything all right? What do you think? Look at this place! And poor Bianca. If something's happened to her... Aha! Oh, my darling. Thank God you're all right. Ezio, meet Bianca. Bianca, Ezio. Charmed. All right, so... We're now up with Berg's time with Abstergo Entertainment and him looking for the shroud. So Berg, the first thing Berg does is after the incident at Abstergo in Assassin's Creed Black Flag, and he's looking for the observatory, he is tasked with actually going to the observatory, and he deems it unusable. And you can hear more about that in our episode on the observatory. And so you can go and check that out for more that happens. But he basically goes there and he finds it unusable and he leaves. And that's all that goes with the observatory. And so Berg is then tasked with finding various random precursor items in hope that one actually contains the Koinor diamond. It is also during this time that he is summoned to Abstergo Entertainment to deal with a hacker or blackout. And this is the events of Assassin's Creed Rogue, where he basically takes the analyst, walks them through Shea Cormac's memories, and he gets the ideas to upload Shea Cormac's memories to the, to the Assassin's database and basically to basically unnerve the Assassins, to be like, look at this Assassin who decided that the Templars were the way to serve the world. Look at how corrupt your organization is. And so, and then he offers the analyst an offer to join the Templars, and then he ends up going against Sean Hastings, Rebecca Crane, and Galliana Verania, um, 
in an attempt to locate the shroud. This happens in Assassin's Creed's Syndicate, where he there's a lot of things are happening. They eventually come into blows under Buckingham Palace in the vault where the shroud is hidden. Uh, Rebecca Crane is injured in this fight and uh, Galliana attempts to kill Berg, but he does eventually get away. It is then that this is the first time that Berg realizes that something is wrong with the Templars because the shroud doesn't go to the Templars, it goes to the instruments of the first will. He hasn't quite discovered their infiltration, but he starts to realize that things are kind of going wrong in this moment. And he starts to ask some questions. And so then he's he gets a clue. He learns that there is a descendant of Albert Bolden that is alive, Andre Bolden. And so he is tasked to go and hunt them down and bring them down so that they can relive Albert's memories to try to find out what he did with the Koh-i-Noor. So Berg gets Bolden to work with them. Berg uh, would eventually just let him go and would release him into hunt down the Koh-i-Noor. But it is during this that Berg is attacked by members of the instruments. Berg and Bolden are attacked. And it is after this that Bolden basically comes clean about the Black Cross and more about the Black Cross and hands the Black Cross pin to Berg and says, I think you will need this more than I will. And so it is in this moment that Berg resurrects the new Black Cross, which the Black Cross, which we talked about recently, is basically like the enforcer of the Templars, not only to hunt down assassins and take them out, but to make sure that there is no infiltration or dissent among the ranks of the Templars themselves. While he's working as the Black Cross, he attempts and uncovers the instruments of the fifth of the first will and realizes that the Templar order has been infiltrated by a third party in this war with the assassins. And so he vows then to root it out. So in this, in his moment to basically let it be known that the black cross has returned to root this out, but not to implicate himself, he convinces Bolden to dress up as the new black cross. And at this point, Berg, has been inducted into the Inner Sanctum. And he's a part of that group. And so during a meeting with the Inner Sanctum, he has Bolden appear as the new Black Cross and basically threaten all of them and say, you know, you're all suspects in this. I will hunt down this infiltrator and take them down. And Berg basically tackles Bolden to the thing, attempting to restrain him but Bolden throws him off in a ruse to basically say like I'm powerful even your best agent can't take me down all while giving Berg the perfect alibi to say I'm not the Black Cross. So do you think it's fair to say that the Black Cross kind of exists to purify the Templars from any insider corruption things like yes, that? I think that's probably a fair description of it. But they want it to be secret. Berg wants it to be secret because he doesn't want 
because he knows that he has an easily manip- manipulable target that they can use against him. So if no right, one thinks sure. if no one thinks he's the Black Cross, they won't move against him. Yeah. So he basically starts his work as the Black Cross to root out the instruments and get everything everywhere it needs to be. Now it's interesting. Albert Bolden, the first Black Cross, he was an agent of the Inner Sanctum that was tasked by them to purify the Templar Order. Berg is a member of the Inner Sanctum and is operating outside of their jurisdiction and their influence. That is an interesting difference. It's also interesting to me, so have there only been two Black Crosses? Berg and Bowden, Bolden? I think so, unless there are others. We'll do an episode on the Black Cross at some point later on, but as far as I know. But these two, these two are the most famous for sure. Yes. That's interesting. You would think that they would like always have one. Right. I think this is an ed to say that like, I think as much as you could say that the modern day assassins pre-purge had kind of fallen from their original intent and had kind of lost their way from their purpose and who they're there to serve and what they're supposed to do. I think the Templars think something can be said that they're in the same boat in a lot of ways. I absolutely agree. Um, Because a lot like we see in the modern day Templars is splitting of factions that seem to be working against each other. And maybe that's the work of the instruments. Maybe that's whatever it is, but it's very interesting to me. So he continues to hunt down the instruments, but they get the drop on him, which we did talk about in our Koinor episode. And so Berg is saved from this. He's basically thrown off a balcony, but he is saved by the assassins who take him back to their stronghold and like capture him, but they mend him back to health, I guess, in an attempt to interrogate him. And it is in this that Berg actually offers to work with the assassins to hunt down the instruments. And they, of course, refuse. Of course they do. Right. Uh, after re- realizing that the instruments intended to use the Koinor to resurrect Juno, they eventually do ally themselves together to hunt down the instruments. And so we talked about this in our Koinor episode. If you want more details about this happening, you can learn about this. But basically, Berg leads the attack on the lab where they're going to resurrect Juno, and everything goes wrong, as things normally do when the assassins plan anything. Things go wrong. And there's a dupe where, you know, eventually Charlotte... De La Cruz kills Juno and her body. There's the betrayal of Elijah. And all kinds of things are happening. And Berg, in an attempt to say, to attempt to maybe take out both his enemies at once, decides to blow up the lab. And there's an interesting email you can read in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where Layla's basically asking, like, is there anything left of this? Like, could we find it? Like, are we sure it's entirely destroyed? And someone responds, it goes, Berg blew it up. When Berg blows something up, it's an absolute thing. Yikes. 
Berg is somebody that is not to be trifled with. That's for sure. No, and the assassins know it. it it's it's kind of like a boogeyman name that they use. Um, and so we last see Berg in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where he's part of the team that is hunting Layla and her team as they look for the staff of Hermes. Berg tracks them to the ruins of Atlantis where he and Layla fight and Layla ends up stabbing him in the back and paralyzing him. Uh, he is brought to the surface by the assassins who are recovering Layla, who suffered a massive bleeding effect episode, which resulted in the death of her, one of her teammates. Berg is then taken captive by the assassins. Uh, he is eventually freed by Abstergo and thanks to their research is able to regain the use of his legs, which is the last kind of place we see him. And so here is kind of the discussion that we can get in before we get into like, why do we love, hate the character? I think it's an interesting question to go, given Durf different circumstances, would Berg be an assassin? I mean, I think my answer is absolutely because he's not motivated by the Templar, the Templar creed, so to speak. And I don't think if he became an assassin, I don't think he would be motivated by the assassin's creed either. I think that he's motivated by his daughter and providing for her and making sure she's okay. And so for me, a person like that is desperate. A person like that is almost willing to be part of any organization if it gets their goals. So for me, it's an easy yes, that he could potentially be part of the assassins instead. Right. I think that, so I guess I think that like, because Berg, Berg is noted early in his evaluation that he is highly devoted to the Templar cause. They say that like, he will never betray us. He will not be, um, he is devoted to our cause and what we're trying to fight. And so I guess with, with your thing, do you think it's all a front? Like he's not actually that devoted. It's that he wants his daughter to be safe. So he's all in. I'm not saying that he's putting up a front. I don't think that, but what I am saying is that the only reason he has bought into this is to protect his daughter and I don't think he would even be part of it if he didn't need to protect her. I don't think he has joined the Templars and has bought into the cause because he believes in their ideals, because he believes in their teachings and their principles. He's done it for a purely selfish motivation and not selfish in like a bad way, like, oh, you're bad for being selfish. No, selfish because he has to protect himself and his family. Honestly, frankly, for me, like, this is one of the few Templars that we've covered that I'm like, yeah, I completely support you. I completely understand where you're coming from. And if I was put in that same situation, I don't know that if I would behave differently. And so I think that's a good kind of segue into like, why do you love or hate this character? Well, you didn't answer the question. I think I agree with you that, yes, I do think that he would be a part of the assassins. I think that in... I think the only thing that would stop him from the assassins given like, let's just same circumstances. Let's just say the people that break into his apartment are William miles and his team and they free his daughter. Let's say that's the only difference. I don't think he would be as gung ho because the temp, the assassins do not have the resources of Abstergo. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. And then with like why I love and hate the character, I think I love Berg as a Templar because he really does like inspire fear. Like in the reader, in the person watching that, you know, when he shows up, you're like, oh crap, like things are going to go down. Mm-hmm. And you don't know if everyone's going to come out alive because Berg is more than willing to sacrifice anyone to get his goal across. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think the reason why I love him as a character is because he is so intelligent. He is so good at what he does. He has perfected the ability to fight and to kill. And so because of all those things, he is not just another dumb, stupid, power-hungry Templar who is a an evil caricature. He is a person who is good at what he does. And not only that is he has motivations, um, internal and external motivations for why he does what he does. And so I think that makes him a really great villain. It makes him a really great antagonist. And honestly, it just makes a good story. And Berg, as you notice in our story, Berg never even like has a moment where he's like, okay, I'm going to take this piece of Eden for myself. No, never. Which is, is fascinating because I don't know of another Templar who has ever acted that way. He, he is, he has such an intense, like strength of character that he is not tempted by power or money or anything like that. I do agree. The only thing that could tempt him would be his daughter. Right. And that's why I was interested that he didn't go after the shroud. But I think it's also interesting to me that like he's never tempted by that. And I think it's because he doesn't think he needs them. He -hmm. thinks he's he knows that he's powerful enough. Like I think without him. Yeah, I think he would like walk up to Rodrigo Borgia with the with the staff and just deck him. And I I believe that he could take him. Right. If there is one person who could 1v1 someone with a piece of Eden and not have one themselves, it would be Juhani Otzoberg. 100%. Right. And, like, I love, I love his character and, like, how powerful he is as a villain. We're never told he has Isu DNA. We're never told that he has a strange piece of Eden going on. It's just his raw human skill. Exactly. Which, again, I think makes a better story because it's it's not another superhuman story. It's not a chosen one story. It doesn't fall into any of these tropes. It's just a person who has perfected their skill, who has worked hard, who has achieved excellence. Definitely. And so that's really all we got. I thought I would go quickly, kind of this, the new thing I want to do in character deep dives is where you see these people, um, where they make appearances, whether mentions or whatever. So he's either mentioned or appears in these comics and books. And so Assassin's Creed Initiates, Assassin's Creed uh, Brahmin, uh, Assassin's Creed Heresy, Assassin's Creed Templars, Assassin's Creed Reflections, Assassin's Creed Uprising, and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood of Venice. In the games, you can find him mentioned in Revelation. He appears in Rogue. He's mentioned in Unity. He appears in Syndicate, mentioned in Origin, and is obviously mentioned and appears in Odyssey. 
so he is he is in a lot he's not just a one-off like i would argue that this makes him an, a main uh, one of the main characters of this game series yes definitely antagonist and he's he is a big antagonist of like the outside of the game teams that we learn about. So like the comic book teams, like he is a big antagonist to like Charlotte de la Cruz and their team and everything Mm -hmm. like that. And so, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Awesome. Well, I really enjoyed this character deep dive. This is one I've been looking forward to for a long time. Um, I find him very interesting. So thanks for the research and thanks for presenting it all. Um, This has been a great episode. And thanks for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at AC Lorecast. If you have any lore questions or topics to unpack, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. Find us on patreon.com slash Assassin's Creed Lorecast. The Assassin's Creed Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode's description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, make sure you give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. And always remember, Assassins, stay in the shadows to serve the light. Do you know your video game lovers? Have you ever wondered how your video game bays stack up against all the other delectable digital dates? I'm Genesis, the girl whose motto in life is love, laugh, tequila. And on Two Girls, One Ship, we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. And I'm Vervada, the hopeless romantic cat lady and lifelong gamer. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of physical connection. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters, using specific in-game dialogue, and the overall narrative journey. So join the two girls, one ship, shipsters, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller.